Only in Jeff Styles America. As previously stated, we're going to take sort of a strange and unusual path to the topic and subject of thankfulness and gratitude today. Um, we're going to take the path through the, the cemetery death. Um, there's been a lot of it lately. Um, the story that has been gripping everybody's attention uh, of late have been these massive wildfires in California. They've never seen anything like them before. They keep trying to compare them to the type of fire that happened to burn San Francisco down, but it's far beyond that. Uh, last check, there were 70 dead and 600 missing, and no doubt some of those people fled, and they just haven't checked out with anybody yet, but there's no doubt that many of them, maybe a majority of them, are actually gone. That's just remarkably, horrifically, it's just a different scenario. You've seen these these videos for years with these, you know, people who've saved up their money or they got grandfathered in or they're celebrities who just bought a place in Malibu or some, something like this and they're out there and there are wildfires approaching and they're out there with a garden, literally a garden hose. And they're not, they're not leaving, this is their house and they're wetting down the trees and they're wetting down the roof and, and they actually succeed. This was something totally different. Imagine a hurricane, uh, I mean, literally, uh, a, a Category 1 hurricane, gale force winds, 60 to 80 miles an hour, coming at you, and it is spinning off multiple, you know, EF1 tornadoes, many of them, not just one or two, uh, dozens of them. They're just spinning off of this, this wind cycle, and the entire thing is made out of fire. A garden hose just isn't going to go very far. And I guarantee you, most of the people that are missing, and the, and some of the, a lot of the people that were killed, when they were in their homes or around their homes, they were doing what they'd always done. This was not the same issue. This wasn't the same animal, and it's just hard to imagine. You know, we saw what the hurricanes did to people who were used to riding out hurricanes down you know, on the, the the coast around Panama City and 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 oh, poor Cape Sandblast and and, and Metzgo Beach. Mexico Beach is gone, and things have changed. The weather's changed. We won't talk about climate change today. I'm just saying just all of those people gone. I also lost a personal hero here recently, Roy Clark. That might surprise people. I'm not a huge country fan, and I guess hee-haw, even though it was the most popular you know, TV show in America for years when I was growing up, it's kind of a guilty pleasure now, and uh, you have to be sort of somewhat sheepish when you're my age and you're a big rock guy and you go to a lot of concerts and you think you're a music snob and you say that you used to watch Hee Haw all the time, but I loved Roy Clark. He was an incredible musician, very much like Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell kind of got made into a cartoon, a cartoon of himself. And I had a chance to talk to Roy Clark. Um, we were actually trying to book him for Riverbend and he's a multi-instrumentalist. It wasn't just the guitar. Listen to what Brad Paisley has to say about him. I mean, he, 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 not, he modeled not just his guitar picking style, even his facial expressions, his guitar face after Roy Clark. And I talked to him for a long time and he just didn't want to do it anymore. But I mean, just what a loss. And then you have Stan Lee and, you know, I talk about music snobs. Well, let's just go straight into geekery. Now that uh, the Marvel universe is a multi, multi billion dollar, you know, industry, it's, it's much harder to write off comic books. But back when I was young, all the way through college, even into adulthood, comic books were a huge part of my life. 
And I liked DC. I liked all the off brands. I just liked comic books. I liked characters. But Stan Lee was a was a force. He was just a force to be reckoned with. And he came up with so many human characters that were more than human, less than human, superhuman. Um, his superheroes had very real drawbacks, but he's gone. They're all gone. These people are gone. And the older you get, the more you lose people. You know, I've, I've, I've lost Bowie. I've lost Prince. I've lost, you know, heroes uh, of mine from the music world, the entertainment world, uh, the, the, the world of athletics. And somebody, when I lost my dad several years ago, um, a friend of mine who was in the hospitality industry downtown sat down uh, with me and we were just having a conversation and he lost his dad recently. He goes, there comes a point in life when you actually, when God starts taking things from you, he doesn't give them to you as much as he takes them from you. You start losing. So death, you know what? Jim Morrison was right. Uh, or Voltaire was right. Or whoever said it first, nobody gets out of here alive. You know, nobody gets out of here alive. We're all going down that path at some point. Now I have lived a life that has put me on that path many times. I mean, more times than I can count. I'm sure I will come up with another 20 near death experiences uh, when I leave the studio today and I'm through with this and I don't have, you know, the ability to go back and add it, but I'm just going to go with the top five. And, and my buddy Clint here, who is engineering the, the show here, uh, I'm just going to ask you to do the same thing. By the way, uh, we're at People's Home Equity at the uh, Podcast Central studio here. And Clint, good to see you again. Hey, man. How you doing? We did a, um, a podcast for you the other day, and it lasted quite some time. It was a good podcast. And we laughed and laughed and laughed. And we were talking afterwards about near-death experiences. You said we ought to do this sometime. And you took me up on it. Yeah, I did. I thought, you know what? We got Thanksgiving around the corner. What better way to show you're thankful than to tell the Lord and everybody around you, I'm glad I didn't die that day. (laughs) And uh, if you did have people around you during some of these things, I did in some, I didn't in others, uh, they'll be very quick to tell you you're very lucky to have not died that day. They probably saw it very differently than you did. Oh, yeah. Only in Jeff Styles America. So I, I'm going to just go ahead and start off with, with one since we were talking about the fire. And uh, I'll come back to the, the main reason I'm so thankful today at the very end of the show. But I had an experience with fire, and I've lost friends to fire. And I have friends who are firemen, and uh, it's it can be a very devastating thing. I mean, it's the, it's the ultimate, you know, uh, what, what what would you say? Um, it, it brings everything down to its 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 bare essentials. When they say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, nothing does that as efficiently as a fire does. It was the Fourth of July, many years ago. I was up here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I was up at the Lookout Mountain Flight Park. It was excessively dry. The authorities had begged people not to do their own fireworks because it was excessively dry and there was a little bit of wind. And of course, me and a couple of buddies who I will not name here, uh, one of them has recently passed. Another one is still out there in the city somewhere, but he is from up uh, northeast somewhere in the Boston area. And uh, I only say that so you'll recognize the accent later. And a couple of young ladies and a few other people who are actually pillars of the community now. And uh, Jägermeister (laughs) was involved. And at the time, these were brand new. The average person couldn't get these things. Uh, we called them Guangdongs, and they were just mortar shells. We called them that because they said on the bottom 
made in Guangdong, China. And this was new. I mean, we, we lost our M80s. Back in the day, an M80 or a cherry bomb was a quarter stick of dynamite. And a quarter stick of dynamite could do some real harm. So when you see something called an M80 or a silver salute or a cherry bomb today, that's just a firecracker. Back in the day, it would take your hand slap off if you were foolish and destroy a mailbox oh yeah and, and, and we did i don't know why we did but mailboxes were one of my specialty and uh, so we were so excited about having these mortar rockets these shells you'd take these round looking things and light the fuse and you'd have them down in there and shoot boom it looked like professional fireworks and we were up there on this concrete ramp it was the old ramp just square as it could be surrounded by rock on the top but the treetops weren't far below and if there's treetops just right there, then you know there's tree bottoms down there and there's roots and there's going to be all kinds of, you know, rubble and brackish and, and, and thorns and, and brush. And all that stuff was just tender. But we were shooting them in the air, right? Until somebody, I won't say who, kicked over one of the mortar shells while he was trying to scramble away from it because the fuse was going a little faster than he expected. And it tipped over and fired directly into the ground below us. A huge mortar shell, boom, like that. And we were laughing about it and saying what a dumbass he was. And then all of a sudden, my friend from the Northeast goes, hey, hey, we got a fire down here. We got a fire down here. And I go and I look at it, oh my God, we do have a fire. And at the time, I mean, that's pretty high up there. I mean, I mean, the, the, the ramp is like 1,300 feet above the landing field now it's not that far above the right directly below the the ramp but that's still a good long way so me and one of my buddies go running down there but it just looked like a little postage stamp at that point last time that we could stomp out so we go running down there and it's not easy this is this is a, this is a hard scramble in the nighttime jägermeister was involved and we get down there and now this thing has spread to a room easily the size of the room we're in now and it was burning in all directions, and the flames were above us, and they were catching into the pine trees. And we found a couple of like you know pine boughs and a couple other leaf you know leafy you know limbs that were down the ground. We tried to use them to whap it out and whap it out, and we were stomping and stomping. But the heat was already so intense we couldn't even get close to it. We realized, oh my God, we've set the mountain on fire. So then we go scrambling back up, right? We're hollering, we're hollering because the wind they couldn't hear us. And I will tell you this, I thought I would lose my friend right then and there, because let me tell you this about me. Um, I'm not an exceptionally brave person. I like to think I can exhibit and, you know, uh, and, and be brave, I guess, exhibit bravery and, and conduct myself in a brave or courageous fashion from time to time, if I'm given time to think about it. But in an emergency situation, I have a very, very successful and highly tuned survival mechanism. If you are with me and an emergency breaks out, follow me. Follow me because I'm going to get out. I'm Come going on, to get boys. out. I'm going to get out. Now, I won't take the time to holler at anybody. I'm not going to look left or right. I'm not one of those people to look back to see if there's anybody behind. I'm gone. If you stay close enough behind me where I don't slam the door on you as I leave, you're going to survive too. And so I'm going up the, the side of this thing, and I'm in really good shape back in those days. And I was winded by the time I got to the top, and I could hear my buddy behind me who had extra weight. He was not in as good a shape, and he was huffing and puffing, and the flames were beginning to lick our heels. And I thought, we're dead for sure. 
He definitely is going to die. He's going to have a heart attack or a stroke. I refuse to turn around and look at him. Would not do it. Would not do it. Got to the top, shouted orders at everybody. You get the fireworks, get out of here. You get the Jägermeister, get out of here. You go down and see if you can find a phone that nobody had cell phones back in those days and, and call 911. And by the time I did all this and people were scattering, my buddy comes up. He's okay. He's all scorched and he's got, you know, smudge marks all over him. I went down and found the owner who lived nearby of the flight park and told him it was me and it was burning hard. And that wasn't even the near death experience. That was just how it began. The volunteer fire department came from new Salem, new Salem. They brought out a couple of tanker trucks before it was over. I think they used five tanker trucks full of water to put this fire out. And it had a huge footprint, this fire that had taken place that we had started. The, the near-death experience was when I had gotten so frustrated because it was my fault. I'm wearing a pair of cut-off denim jeans and flip-flops. That was it. Not a shirt, nothing else. Flip-flops, cut-off denim jeans. And the firemen were standing on the top of the, the ramp and the bluff, and they were just spraying this fire from these you know pump trucks and was just misting out over this blaze, this red hot spreading blaze. And I could just see it was turning into mist and then fog before it was ever getting to the source of the fire. I said, you got to get lower. You got to get lower. Finally, some guy pulls me aside. He's got all this gear on tons of gear. And he goes, man, there's snakes down there. Snakes. The whole house. I'm now beginning to think that, that Fairland and Lookout Mountain, that all those houses on the bluff are going to go up in flames and it's going to get tracked back to him. I go, snakes, you got to be kidding me. And so they brought another truck out. And before they put water in the hose, I said, do, do me a favor, throw the hose over the side, throw the hose over the side. And they did. I mean, things were a little different back then. I mean, just people reacted differently. They weren't going, who the hell are you? Get out of here. We're yeah. in charge, which is what they do now. And I repelled off the side of the the flight ramp using the hose, no hookup, no, 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 you know, safety gear. I literally just, just did the bat walk backwards, backwards, backwards um, with that, you know, fiber, somewhat metallic plastic, you know, thing that the fire hoses are made of so they can expand. And I got all the way down to where I was standing on a car because all bluffs around here used to be insurance bluffs at some point. And we could see this car from the air during the wintertime when there was no foliage, but really nobody ever thought about it. But I got down, the hose had landed on the car and I got down there and it started rocking. It was sitting on a pivot rock. So <laughs> I'm literally surfing this junk car and I get the hose and I say, turn it on, turn it on. Well, at this point they are shamed. They are shamed into activity. Their fear of the snakes actually overcomes everything else. And they come on down. They tell me to get the hell out of there. They stabilized the car somehow. But I literally walked back up. Did the Batman walk back up with my flip-flops and my denim shorts? And they turned on that hose. Boom, it was over. The last pump truck that came out that actually followed my instructions put the fire out. Now, we could have died in the fire. I could have died in the climb. I could have died at any given moments when the car just decided to let go and go down the side of the mountain. I probably would not have been able to hang on, but I lived with that one for a long time. The owner of the place said, don't ever tell that story again, but I think the statute of limitations has run out. So there's one that involves fire. And my buddies were kind of driving by slowly because we had all these lights flashing. So everybody was stopping to look 
and they were just checking on me. I was going, it's okay. It's okay. But I was, I was ready to take one for the team there. But I mean, that was stupidity in its utmost. And I could have easily died. Only in Jeff Styles, America. Clint, I mean, I know you've got at least a couple. Oh, I got a couple. When you, and I promised to keep mine short when we were talking about this before. And I've got three or four written down, but the one that I thought of was there was a cliff that everybody, I went to a school called Carson Newman, and there was a couple of cliffs that you could go up there and dive off of. And there's one here at Chickamauga. So we'd go, you know, just 20 feet, 15 feet, just go jump, right? Mm-hmm. And there was one up at uh, up at the dam up there, and I wish I could remember. It's been 30-something years ago. But we were all up there jumping one day. Well, there was a new one, or somebody said there was another cliff, this little walk, football field away, but it takes you a minute because you got to go through the, you know, rocks and cracks and all that sure. stuff. So I get got to it. earn it. Absolutely. Well, I get to it, and I don't know if anybody's jumped off of it before, but I'm first there, so first there, first go. You know, and I jog, I got go up to the thing, and this is a little higher. It's around, it's a little higher for me, twenty five feet, twenty feet, which is a long drop for me. I was like, yeah, you just we'll do it. So we get up to it, and then I look, and there's one that's a little higher. But you had to get a run and jump. Well, but there's a little, there's the cliff is a little, a little. There's this other little cliff ledge that's just about ten or fifteen feet even higher than this one, and I'm nineteen or twenty. I'm like, well. You I'm weren't thinking, how, how come people aren't jumping off of right, that one? I'm going to go to that one. Now, it's a little trickier. There's a little thin ledge to kind of mm-hmm. edge with my one, you know, mm-hmm. my one side's leaning on the wall. It's got like the a, downward slope. Yeah, absolutely. So I get to the top of this one. And by the time I get to the top of it, I'm about to jump. One of my buddies goes, hey, dude, you shouldn't be jumping from that one. And again, it, it, looking at it from up top, it doesn't look like, it looks like it's all the same area. I didn't know. Let me tell you, because people think that when you leap off a cliff, it's going to be like a cartoon. Yeah. And you're going to actually continue your horizontal movement yeah. way out into the air. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to arc way out over things. But really, mean old Mr. Gravity grabs you <laughs> about three push. feet off and you yeah. go straight down. So yes. I go. I jump. I'm like, yeah, whatever. He goes, dude, don't jump on that one. I'm like, no. He goes, low. And he was in the middle of talking. I just stepped off. I went, whoo. And I go in, and no problems, right? I go in, except I feel a little sting, just a little like like you just something, you know. And I come up, and as I'm coming up, I feel another sting. Well, what I had done is when I jumped, I had scraped the edge. There's a huge rock underneath the water you can't see. And I had just you found the crevice, it, it, and I and, not it fa- and you. the edges of the crevice found it. It had looked like somebody had just taken Freddy Krueger just a little bit, not a lot, on my arm going up and my I mean arm going down and on my leg coming up when I was kicking back to the top. But then I get to the where I can see the rocks because now I'm floating and I look down and it's I like had a, a knife edge. I had literally landed in about the only three foot wide crevice between yeah. two rocks. And I come up and That's I look. That's so familiar to well, me. A, I can't even describe it. A buddy that. of mine is making the same trip. I said, no. No. Just 20 feet no over. No way two people do that. No. And just 20 feet over where the other one is, no rocks. Yeah. Nothing. And my other buddy That's just looked at me and goes, hey, good call, dumbass. I was trying to tell you about that one. I can't tell you the carnage I've seen from from, oh, from rock jumping. Yeah. Now the highest I ever did was ninety feet. Yeah, uh, that was probably and, the highest. It was like thirty something. And, I'm not that and brave. That's an OTO, a one time only. But I, I've seen such damage done to human bodies; it's un, 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 unimaginable. Now only in Jeff Styles, America. Everybody who knows me, uh, you know, even if you go to you know FredPodcast.com, and I hope you do, um, you see that I'm I'm an outdoorsman. Um, that's that's my the reason I'm here. Uh, hang gliding was one of the reasons I came here. 
paddling was something I was always into. I didn't get really into whitewater paddling and kayaking until I moved to this area. Uh, before I was into kayaking, though, I did have a 12-foot fiberglass canoe. I was living down in Flintstone. Uh, my first wife and I and our uh, little baby and our brand newborn uh, son were living down in this renovated barn in Flintstone. And one day it came this incredible deluge. It was a biblical flood, flood of biblical proportions. And every single creek was out of its banks. Water was running through the streets. I'd never seen anything like it before. And I called my buddy, Mr. Wizard, uh, and told him about it. I said, man, photographic opportunities abound down here. You need to come down here. So he starts streaking down there to make his way. And I had this, people are making fun of the hat I'm wearing today. I had an Indiana Jones hat. I had a, a felt fedora that I used to wear all the time. And so that canoe, that 12-foot fiberglass canoe, which I had repaired, and working on fiberglass is nasty. But it, it, you become one. You bond with this thing, right? And and I, I would paddle it everywhere. I actually took it down stretches of the Okoe. I was you know smart enough to know that I didn't need to be going over rocks but I mean, I would just drop to my knees. I didn't even wear a life jacket. I didn't wear a helmet. I didn't have any kind of padding on. There was no sort of flotation devices, but I would drop down to my knees. And this thing was like an extension of my body. I could make it go wherever I wanted it to go. I had such confidence in it. I was an idiot. And by the time my friend showed up there, me and my entire family, both daughters, both sons, including the baby who would have no memory of it, but my oldest son would have been scarred for life if I had not made it out of this. I decided to put in, in this area around a church, and all these local people were standing around, and there was flotsam and jetsam everywhere. There was all kinds of stuff being pushed up against trees. And I looked down here, and there was what looked like a ladder, just a wooden ladder up against the, these two trees down here. But over the, here across this sort of fairly flat sort of, you know, placid uh, area of water, you could tell there was some flow in there. But there was a church, and the handicap ramp had become a rapid. It was underwater, and I was going, I'm going to go run that rapid. And so I get in, wear my fedora, no jacket again, no nothing, and take off. And all the locals are going, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And I'm going, man, I got this. You don't know me. Come on. I mean, this ain't going to be nothing. I'm going to go Jeff down there. I'm going I'm to go down here and have some fun and, 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 and surf this ramp and everything like that. And I take one stroke, and I take two strokes. And the next thing you know, I am slammed up against that ladder and the boat tips upstream, which you never want, and it breaks. It breaks with the sound of a 45 caliber handgun going off in my ear. Snap! And I'm wedged in this incredibly powerful, just funnel of water. And my hat's gone, my hair's in my eyes. And my first instinct was to step upstream and, of course, to find my footing and to see if I could get my boat away from this maelstrom. Something stopped me from doing that. And instead, I actually crawled out in what turned out to be the handrail of a footbridge that went over a stream that was always there. A, not a wet weather stream, a real creek that had a real name, and it was just an old wooden footbridge that had been built there, and I thought I was paddling across a pasture. I thought I was paddling just across a flat field that just happened to be moving in one direction because it was going downhill, but I went dead into the middle of this stream channel at this amazing, I don't know that they've ever seen it again, flood level, 
my boat snaps in half and I pull myself out on this handrail and get out. And all the local people are just looking at me going, what the hell is wrong with you, son? <laughs> my God, you're so lucky to be alive. <laughs> and, and there are pictures. There's two pictures of me. There's a picture of me, the three. Actually, there's one of me holding my, my oldest son up. And he's looking like he's looking into the distance. I'm looking all heroic with the floodwaters. And then there's me taking that first stroke and looking all confident. And there's one of me beginning to lose it as the canoe is being pulled in. And we went down again over the course of the evening and, and tried to pull my canoe up out of the water as the water level dropped. And we couldn't get it up. And the last time we went down, it was just gone. So it just it's finally just broken two and went under the bridge and ended up in the bottom of the Tennessee River. And I didn't sleep for days, the feeling of being pulled down and that thought of stepping out, I would have just gone bloop and gone straight into the strainer. And that's where I would have died. I'm very thankful. I didn't the people around me again, we've got witnesses to both of these were very quick to tell me you should have only in Jeff styles, America. That's uh, you know, all these stories though, that you're going to share all have that one moment where they freeze frame it. And you hear the over the the narrator, uh oh, looks like the Duke boys are in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. old, Every one of them. Old Uncle Hefe's coming out <laughs> and said, Don't do that. Yeah, I rem- that's how I lost this just leg. Freeze frame that shot and put it on your Facebook page. The Ignis second. Absolutely. It's uh oh, Duke nah. boys are in some trouble. This yeah. now this this is one that a lot of people are not gonna be able to identify with, but I'll just I'll make it very, very quick. Um as I said, I came here to be a hang glider pilot when we moved to Knoxville followed a a big paycheck and an ad agency up there. And I was still flying quite a bit. And a lot of the same pilots that fly down here fly up there. But the big mountain up there that they flew more often was Clinch, Clinch Mountain. Um, It was a cliff launch. They did not have any of the cool, you know, ramps like we have around here. And the landing field was actually on a knob, on a hill. Uh, So it was, I mean, you had this, this wasn't sharp. It was just like a, a, a farm, you know, field, a valley hill. But the wind was tricky and we had wind socks that would tell you which direction it was coming. And, uh, one of the rare times back in those days that I actually had a two way on, I had a, a, a two way radio on in my helmet. Cause we were thinking we were going to go cross country that day. And I'm up there with some of the best pilots. I know I'm the first one to go. And I just didn't find it. I just found sink and sink and I just didn't get any lift. I'll go, I'll go land and go back to the top again. Wasn't anywhere near as easy to get there as it is around here. But still, I mean, I had nothing else to do that day. And my wife and my children, this is about the time my wife was really beginning to get tired of the sport of hang gliding because now she's watching two toddlers while I'm out there having fun and we're on a cliff, right? And as I go in for this approach and, and, and in hang gliding, you, you, you come in fast, just like any flight. You come in fast. You aim at the ground like you're trying to hit the ground and you hit something called ground effect which is a bubble of air right next to the ground that pushes you back up just a little bit. And then you bleed off speed and then you flare and you land on your feet. And back in those days, it was considered to be sissified to even have wheels. Nowadays, most everybody flies with at least small wheels in case you have to just land on your belly or you just don't, don't hit your run very well. So you don't mess up your glider. Um, but I came in and I was, and there was, there was somebody videotaping it with a great big, you know, video camera that was the size of a suitcase, like they were back in those days. And it showed that I did make my final approach and I was going into the wind, which is what you need to do. But I only had this small little bitty hilltop to hit. And if you blow it, you're going to go 
back in the air again. And now you don't have time to recover. And, but the wind switched on me. I never saw it. So I continued just to go in at full speed and I'm waiting for the ground effect. And I did the lawn dart impression. I became a jart, a javelin. And I literally went nose into the dirt and I don't remember the crash. I saw it on video later, but I, I literally hit the ground at full speed as fast as I could, could make my glider go. And as a matter of fact, if it hadn't been full speed, if I'd been going any slower, I would have definitely been killed or maimed permanently disabled, paralyzed because just like in karate or a martial art where you're breaking a board, which is really just for show, but still, if you hit the, the board too soft with not enough inertia, not enough power, speed, punch, you'll, you'll, the board won't break and you'll hurt your hand. If you hurt it with just the, you know, if you, if you hit the board with just the right amount of speed, the board gives and your hand goes through and you don't feel anything. It's kinetic energy. Well, when you're in a, a hang glider, like most everybody is these days, and you're flying prone, um, or some, you know, it's prone, basically you're on your belly, you have an attachment from your back to a pivotal point, one point at the glider's construction there, uh, where the, you know, the, the wings come in and the king post and the, the, the tail post and all the rest of the stuff come together. It's right there where, you know, it's this, the center of gravity. I swung like a centrifuge when the nose of my glider hit the dirt, I swung forward with such force that I broke the king post, the number one piece of aluminum that runs the length from the nose to the tail of the glider with my neck. And I actually punched through the glider fabric. The two jagged pieces and my head came through the fabric and the crumpled glider just fell on the ground and I was out. There were, you know, they, you see the, the stuff, you know, the, the shows and the, old tunes where you have birds flying around your head going tweet, 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 tweet. That was what was happening to me. And I was out for a minute. And of course they didn't see me moving. Usually, I mean, if somebody has any bad landing, you're waiting to see if they pick up their glider and move. And I didn't move for a little bit. And so they were on the two way and they were going, Jeff, Jeff. And so I come to, and I've got tweet, 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 tweet going on. And, and I'm hearing Jeff, I'm going, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. What? And there's nobody down there in the field. And I'm looking around and going, where the hell am I? Why, why am I here in the field? Uh, where, and I, and it starts coming back to me and I realize, where's my body? And, and cause I, I just got a head sticking out and then it's all beginning to come back to me. They go, are you okay? You crashed, man. And I start putting it together and I get up very, very slowly and I'm going, Oh my God, I'm so sore. Oh, this is going to suck bad. And I, I take the tangled mangled parts of my glider and I pull them out of the way. So somebody else can land. And uh, 20, 30 minutes later, cause it would take that long to get off the, the mountaintop down there. Uh, here comes everybody and they tell me what had happened. And it was truly, this is one of those things I say, hang gliding is a very safe sport. Um, is, but it's always pilot error that does you in. Well, that would still count as pilot error just because I didn't see the wind switch. It's still my fault. But if I had been going any slower, I'm sure my neck would have broken on the King post. Wow. If I'd been going any faster, I would have just piled in and, and there would have been me in the dirt. Or I would have overshot it somehow and ended up just stalled at 40 feet up in the air. And now you're just going to be jumping 40 feet with a bunch of stuff strapped to your back. 
that is not, you know, airworthy anymore. Yeah. It's going to land on top of you. So there's another one. I'm thankful that I didn't die that day. <laughs> and uh, that actually took me out of flying for a while, not because I was scared, because I couldn't afford another glider. That- Only in Jeff Styles, America. That's a good one. What about your knife fight? Uh, well, I was going to say I had another one, but I'll, I'll go with that one. Or do you want me to go with that one? Or let me do, Which let me do my car. Yeah, yeah. So here's. Look it, forward I, to the knife fight. Yeah, well, the uh, <clears throat> there's a. Uh, car, I was going back up to school, summer check ins. And I've got this cool little 280ZX. <laughs> Back then, it has the uh, uh, T top. I said that in a seminar recently, and some little girl goes, "What's a T top?" I went, "Never mind, shut up, go look that up." The T top in the car, you know. Yeah, both wings of course. Up. So I'm driving up in this 280ZX. I got my girlfriend with me. We're going up for the weekend, and I'm flying in this 280Z. And I'm doing, I'm doing really good, right? I'm a hundred. I'm doing over 100 miles an hour, man. I am drolling. I get really close to Carson Newman, and there's this hill. And as the I look at coming towards the hill, a police officer's coming down the hill. I'm going up the hill. We're passing each other on 11E, 11 East from Knoxville to Carson Newman. And I know this little back road. I said, if I can get to the top of this hill, because I see him doing the U-turn, I get to the top of the hill, I can make a little turn to the left, I'm gone. By the time he gets here, there's back roads, and it's in the you know late 90s, I mean late 80s, early 90s. So as I get to the top of the hill, I've slowed down to maybe 70, 75. As I start to hit the top of the hill, make that turn, there was a lady in a minivan that had, had done the, what she's supposed to do. She had stopped. Looked both directions. She was making a left-hand turn on the 11E. Yes. Well, I had to navigate around the tip of her car, which is called a slide, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Yeah. So, There's a reason they call it that. And when you start sliding, don't jerk that thing back the other that's direction. That's how you flip. Thank you. Well, and that's – so here we go. Boom, 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 boom. We're flipped. I got thrown out of the car. My girlfriend oh my at the time got God. thrown out of the car. So we landed in this ditch. And the, the car actually rolled over. If we had landed flat, it would have probably rolled on. Crushed us. you. But we were both laying in a ditch. It keeps going. It flipped God's four or five hand. more times. God's well, <clears throat> this I'll wrap this up in the next 30 seconds because your stories are more important than your podcast. Cops come. Everybody comes. I finally, I'm a little bummed up, a little scratched up, uh, scratched up. She's a little scratched up. Police officers put me in the car from running from the cops. I'm, I've got cuffs on. Well, one of the guys that's a police officer up there, it's back you said earlier, things are different than they used to be. Yes. He's friend, his brother goes to Carson Newman. Guy comes out. The police officer comes back out, opens the door, pulls me out. Look, she doesn't have any place to go. We're going to do this with the charges. You're going to get uh, reckless. We're taking you off the handcuffs. Well, the guy that arrested me, technically arrested me, was a smart aleck. And he had been mad at me the whole time. So when he was uh, taking my handcuffs off, I went, oh, can you unarrest somebody? Do you read me my rights backwards or something? The other cop, my man, buddy, grabs man, me by the what neck. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> I was, I was the idiot. He grabs me, goes, "One more word, I will make up stuff." He goes, "Shut up, get in my brother's car." I have a throwdown blade, a throwdown knife, <laughs> throwdown gun, and a bag of dope right now that I can plan on you. Absolutely. So my God. I was, I was lucky on two occasions, and then the only thing that made that worse, and the closest I came to death in that situation, is calling my dad. Well, all right. There's my last story. I know you got no, 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 no. I I just I want to say thanks again to um, Robin Ring with her brand new thing, RC2 Realties, and uh, that uh, email address is info at rc2realtysolutions.com. I've learned from podcast masters that you shouldn't give phone numbers. You should give email addresses. And that's info at rc2realtysolutions.com. Talked to Robin just yesterday. She's an angel. She's just a beautiful woman. And uh, I love working with her. Her new thing is all about dealing with distressed properties. If you think you can't get out from under a place, get in touch with her. You might be able to. Tim Kelly and Kelly Subaru, kellysubaru.com. 
obviously they sell Subarus, but they also have incredible selection, incredible selection of used cars, and they do service, and they do everything else, and they do it with a smile, and they're wonderful people. Thank you, Tim and Tim Kelly. And thank you also to Jeffrey Scott Smith Esquire and Mar Jacobus, two new subscribers that actually signed up. And if you go to fredpodcast.com, you'll see where there's a place to subscribe. Uh, we're asking for $5 a month. You can give more, uh, but that certainly helps us a lot. Only in Jeff Styles, America. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this one, and I'll be very brief. And this is the one where actually... If I've been asked before, and I will tell you, this is the time where there really is no answer as to why I didn't die. Uh, and in my opinion, out of everything, the near drownings, car wrecks, which you mentioned, which I don't even go into, and all the rest of the things I've done, this is the one where it just doesn't make any sense. And very quickly, very simply, we were in Yellowstone, and one of my best friends was way over on the other side of this very... It was, it was a field of tall prairie grass, which would exist naturally throughout the Midwest and the West and the Northwest if it didn't get mowed down and we farmed it. And um, he was over there, and he saw me. I was on a little rock outcropping, and I saw him, and I knew that the trail went way around this way, and it would take me forever to get over there. We'd been separated for some time. And I said, I'm just going to go ahead and walk through this field a field of grass, right? I'm used to being in a, you know, somebody's pasture and walking through sage grass. This stuff was as tall as my head. And, you know, once I got in it, I was having to sort of triangulate from the, the cliffs and the mountaintops around me to keep going in the right direction. And I started thinking about all the things that could be in there, wolves, all every kind of poisonous snake that exists in America with the exception of the coral snake. Um, I mean, badgers, wolverines, uh, wildcats, bobcats, badgers. God knows. I don't know what could have been in there. I mean, just all kinds of Tasmanian devils, booger bears. You, your, your imagination, when you get into something like that, you even get into a big old field of corn and lose your way. You start imagining some weird stuff. Where do you think children of the corn came from? And so I'm still going, and I'm beginning to pick up steam now because I'm getting a little bit nervous. And all of a sudden, there is this thundering, rumbling sound. And no further than Clint is away from me right now, three feet, three and a half feet, a bull moose stands up. He had been bedded down. It was the middle of the rut. Not a good time to confront a bull moose. And he stands up, and I am 6'3", and I am looking at about his shoulder. And I look up at his head, which is now a foot and a half above me, and I see eyes that look like peeled tomatoes, red, angry, snot flowing out of his nose, breathing heavily, and his antlers were, had that velvet on them when they are when they're 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 they've got new anchorage coming out, and it falls off in bloody strips. It literally is a flesh of some kind. It looks and feels like velvet. You know, when it's there, if you ever get close enough to touch a moose, I wouldn't advise it. But, I mean, when it comes off, it's like skin falling off your body, and it's bloody, and it's nasty. And this apparition is now up, just towering above me. I don't know how big his actual rack was, but it just, I mean, I was in the shadow of it, and I went, that's it. I'm dead. Mo they, they're not Bullwinkle, y'all. They're not Bullwinkle. Moose fight. They fight, and they're huge. They make the Mexican bulls and, 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 and one of those 
you know, bullfight rings look like nothing, look like a chihuahua. They're massive animals. And this is the worst time in the world that you could ever get near one. It's when they're already feeling territorial and protective. And, and this one was bedded down probably because he'd already been in a fight that day. And he was just looking at me and my heart was hammering. I go, this is it. I put my head down. I became as acquiescent and docile and non-alpha and non-threatening as I've ever been in my entire life. Every bone in my body went limp. Everything went limp. Trust me, everything was limp. And I mean, I just started walking backwards very slowly without looking up, without feeling around, without making any movement with any of my limbs. I was trying to look down and repeat my footsteps where I had padded this grass down backwards and it followed me and it was just snorting this snort and I could feel the phlegm coming out of his nose and his mouth hitting me in the head and the face. And I was just, I was just waiting for the crotch rocket. I was waiting for the pickup, the hook to come at any time. And at some point, 12, 15 feet, he stopped and I backed my way all the way out to where I felt like I was at a safe distance. And then I kind of stood up a little bit and backed out a little first, you know, faster. And then I finally turned around and I bolted back up to the rock that I had started on. And by the time I got to my buddy, it was dark, but I was feeling much better about walking in the dark on the path than being out there in the grass. That I, I'm telling you, I think that was the closest I ever came to death. And I'm very thankful that I did not die and I'm still here today. Death by bullwinkle. Yeah, death by bullwinkles. That's no way to go. <laughs> no way for LFA to go. And that's, I don't use hair products. They but one moose, and that's bullwinkle to moose. But <laughs> that, that ain't true because they're not, they're not bullwinkle to moose. Only in Jeff Styles, America. Yeah, I got one more. I know we're running out of time. Yeah, go for it. It was one I told you about the other day, and I gave you a very abbreviated version. I'm going to keep this one very abbreviated, too. This one I'm very embarrassed of. This is just a couple of years ago. Um, so it shows that I really haven't learned all that much in my life. I, I have been a risk taker. I've been a thrill seeker. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I don't, I don't think I'm foolish all that often, but I do foolish things sometimes. And this one was uh, beyond the pale. And it was the first night of Riverfront Nights, and that's one of the things that I book after Riverbend. I booked the bands for that free concert series here in Chattanooga down at the Riverfront, obviously. And it had gone exceptionally well. It was a beautiful night. It was a full moon. The band actually had considered breaking up, but after they had such a good time at our event, they came up and they said, we're going to stick together. So I go back up to the mountain where I live. It's now after midnight. We've broken down the place. I am feeling like I'm on top of the world. And I go past our exit. There's only two exits on this big mountain. Uh, one's when you first get to the top of it. The other one's six miles later. That's the one that I live on. But I went past it, went down, came back up because that's where the scenic view stop is. The little scenic view area where tourists and people driving through can stop and look at this beautiful valley, this Aquachi Valley. Now it's nighttime, of course, but that full moon was calling me. And my GoPro was not new, but I was still getting used to it and, and using it in different situations. So I pulled into the scenic area. There was nobody there. And I'd done this many times before during the day. And it was so lit up because of the moonlight, I really didn't think twice about it. I walked on up hill, up the mountain, maybe 200 feet or so. And I got on my mountain board which is a skateboard, like a long board, uh, pretty good, sturdy, you know, board uh, that actually is on four inflated knobby tires. 
It's made for going off-road, for going off-terrain. But it also naturally will go slower because of the knobby tires and the little bit of, you know, give you get from the inflation than a longboard will. My longboard, if I had done this on my longboard, I would have died certainly at, you know, 45 or 50 miles an hour, 50 plus. Um, but I got the, I got the GoPro out and I just went down and it was my, you know, it was my plan to go down and get the moonlight and get the, the, the moonlight bathed valley in one unbroken seamless shot and whirl into the pull-off area there and stop next to my car where it kind of flattens out a little bit. And I got so focused on the moon that by the time I looked down, I had passed the scenic overlook. There were no other exits. There were no other stops. I'm nearly at the top of Lewis Chapel Mountain, or some people call it Flat Top Mountain, and I'm now going down a two-lane in the wrong direction on a mountain board. There is no brake, and it's going to be a long ride. There is maybe six inches of space between the yellow stripe that would be on the left lane going up, but on my right side going down, and a median, a concrete piece-by-piece median wall that they put there to keep people from running into each other because they're looking out at the scenery, and six inches at best, and there's about a four-foot steel rail, guardrail on this other side, but I didn't have a light, and I couldn't tell as I got over next to it. I'm now going full speed on the mountain board, about 35 miles an hour maybe, and it's roaring. Those knobby tires are just going, and I would get over there and get in just a little bit of gravel, maybe a foot of gravel, and I couldn't see. On the other side, it could be four feet if I flipped over the rail, or it could be 450 feet if I flipped over the rail, and I couldn't tell. It wasn't that moon bathed. It wasn't that moonlit, and so I had to ride the damn thing down, and I always took a walking stick with me when I boarded. Uh, that, that was just a matter of habit because I used to be bothered by deer. Deer didn't know what to do with a skateboarder. And you don't want a doe jumping around in front of you like a squirrel when you're doing 40 miles an hour going down the hill and you just wave it around and dogs. And sometimes you might even push off with it. Well, I put the GoPro in my pocket, which was still running. Now I'm going past tree cover though. So there's no light whatsoever. And I am bearing down on this stick, a walking stick. My best friend gave me when I graduated college made out of hickory, big thing. And I was just just all my weight going down on it. And you could hear me on the GoPro. I'm praying intermittently. I'm going, God help me intermittently. <laughs> I'm crying intermittently. And I'm also saying, Ronald, thank you for making such a good stick because it, it wasn't slowing me down, but it did give me kind of a tripod effect and it made me feel a little bit more stable. Now on any given night, and this is a Saturday night, Usually there's at least some traffic on this, what is essentially an interstate, right? And a lot of times it's going to be tandem gravel trucks or it's going to be, you know, uh, pulpwood trucks and you know, big lumbering things and people are going to be passing them on the other side. And I was going, I'm dead if one of these things comes by. And it is a long ride. As a matter of fact, it took me six minutes to come to a stop. Do the math. If I'm doing 35 <laughs> miles an hour. It took me six minutes by my reckoning and buy the little cell phone I had in my back pocket. 
And, and I went by two exits. I could not see them or actually entrance ramps, entrance ramps for people who were going uphill. I couldn't see them, but I could feel the temperature and the air pressure drop when I went by them. There's one I'm still flying. There's the other one. I'm still flying. And I finally stop and I'm just vibrating. My legs are just, I mean, that's a long ride on a board and especially when you're terrified the entire time. And I turn around, and I, I, I immediately say, don't sit down, Jeff. Do not sit down. Don't go to your knees because you're not going to get back up. I was weak. I was wobbly. I was terrified. And I look up, and it said, scenic overlook, four and a half miles. That was, <laughs> that was what the sign said. So I started well above that and went well past it. And two vehicles came by the entire time. They were just regular, just just vehicles, passenger vehicles, four-wheelers. And both times I decided to take the median, and their lights saw me, and they moved over. They didn't honk. They didn't shout. They didn't flip me a bird. As far as I know, they didn't call 911. But I promise you they did not see the look of somebody having a good time. What would have they have said if they'd called 911? I don't know. <laughs> How does that call know. go? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but I, 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 you know, I picked up my stick and I just put it under <laughs> me and I was just like being apologetic as they went by. <laughs> Thank you for getting out of my way. I'm so sorry. But they looked, no, they saw stark terror. And a couple of times I actually thought maybe if I just hug this median, I'll give up a bunch of skin. I might crack a rib, but I'll live. If I keep going, I'm not going to make it. I'm, I'm bound to hit something. Or I just go over this rail and say, I'm just going to take my best shot and hope it's not just, you know, hundreds of feet down to the riprap rock. Maybe it'd just be some nice, soft, fluffy weeds and everything like this. And I'm telling you, I got to the bottom and I didn't sit down. I kicked my board around and I decided I'd come back for it the next day. I called my wife. She goes, what did you do? Just like that. What did you do? She's used to it. And I said, I just went all the way down 111 in the wrong lanes down into Dunlap. It took a long time, and I'm, I'm really scared, and I'm stupid, and I'm sorry. She goes, do you want me to come get you? I said, no, I think I probably need the walk. And so I walked back up to my vehicle and got in, and I'm telling you, again, I did not sleep for days. I would be just about to go to sleep, and then uh, I'd be right back. Oh, my God. You know all your wife heard in that, that call, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Is I'm stupid. Yeah, that's exactly. the only thing she remembers. That's that's the, the, the one main thing that people need to take from it. And I, did, and I decided I wouldn't tell anybody about that story. And it came out maybe two months later. Two months later. But I actually made a big decision. I, I made a decision that I was working too hard. I had such a long time to think. And this, this isn't like jumping off a cliff. I had time to think. You know, and on the way down, I was thinking, I'm, I'm doing this thing. And, and I also thought, well, if I, if I do die, they'll say it's suicide. Insurance will say it's suicide. What else could it have been? And uh, so I, I decided to quit that second job. And I quit Riverbend. They actually got me back in, uh, but at a much, at a part-time uh, situation. And I don't have anywhere near the responsibilities I had. But I was working too hard. And it just started out with such a beautiful idea and so simple and it went so horribly wrong. If I'd been on my lawn board, I would have died. There's no doubt. I, I, even the best boards will go into a death wobble and there would have been no stopping that speed. And, uh, and I said, I shaved about six inches off that walking stick 
And I mean, it was just, it was like having a pencil that you had in school that you would sharpen and sharpen, and then you'd take it and you'd put it on the paper and you'd mm-hmm. rub it back and forth so it'd be an even sharp. I could have shaved with the wooden edges of that thing. It was so sharp. And I lost about six inches on it. So thank you, Ronald, for making me such a good stick. <laughs> and I'm very glad that I didn't die. I'm very grateful that I'm here today. And I'm very grateful uh, mainly today. And the reason that I really wanted to do this show uh, and really pump it up a little bit is because of the action that was taken um, yesterday in our real-time world uh, by the District Attorney General here in Hamilton County, the great state of Tennessee, the volunteer state, who dismissed charges against me, um, the aggravated assault and vandalism, aggravated assault being a felony, uh, which all stemmed from the incident. If you want to know more about the incident, you can go to jeffstylesamerica.com, look at that page, and listen to the first two podcasts I ever did. Um, It cost me my job. It cost me almost a half a year of pay and salary. It cost me credibility. It cost me trust. And it cost me untold hours uh, where I would have been sleeping peacefully with my family and enjoying myself, but it was such a heavy weight. I, I do not believe I ever should have been charged, but I was. And I was sure that if it did go to trial, I would be found not guilty, but it didn't have to because of District Attorney General Neil Pinkston dismissing the charges yesterday and essentially not sending the case on to grand jury, and it will be completely taken off of my record um, next week, and it will be as though it never happened, even though I am now launching a new career as a podcaster and uh, just really just just new ground. As a matter of fact, I need to shut up and get out there and get busy doing stuff right now. Thanks again to Robin Ring, RC2 Realty, and the email is info at rc2realtysolutions.com. Very thankful to her and very thankful to my friend Tim Kelly at Kelly Subaru. Go to kellysubaru.com and check out their wide selection of new and used cars. And I cannot tell you what a great service department they have. They'll service anything. So if you're in this neck of the woods, swing on by. Thanks to all of our subscribers, new and invite you to subscribe as well. I normally do talk about current events at the beginning, and I take one and I tell a personal story. We do interviews. Keep on listening. A very important breaking news interview coming up on fredpodcast.com in the very near future. Thank you, God. Thank you to all the people who supported me and helped me and stood by me during this darkest time of my life. Thank you to everybody who still believed in me, or even if they didn't believe in me, they were still my friend. Um, because it was a very, very dark and tumultuous time for me. I was definitely suffering from chronic depression. There were many times I did not think about taking my own life. I didn't come to that abyss, but I got close enough to where I could see the edge. And I did start to wonder whether or not this was going to be it. Was this what was going to take me out? And I feel so relieved now. I'm going to go into Thanksgiving week going, ah. And I suspect that you guys have had bad times, and I'm going to suggest very strongly that you look back on the times you should have already been dead, and you wouldn't have lived at this point where you were listening to this podcast, and say thank you, Lord, and thank you to anybody who helped you. I appreciate it.